when it comes to marriage, the bride of Christ, when it comes to marriage, you've probably heard, probably heard about, you know, Christ and the church and, and that picture of marriage. It's usually used, um, uh, you know, when we look at a Christian marriage and like how, how ought I to act as a husband and how ought my wife act. But so we'll look at these different places in the Bible and say, this, this is what marriage is. And, um, and usually a, a, a place that is often cited for good reason is in Ephesians 5. And uh, so we're going to go to Ephesians 5. We're going to read some of Ephesians 5. And then we're going to go to a mystery book, which I, I'll reveal later. But uh, there's going to be a lot of Bible, a lot of Bible verses. Like, I don't, I, I tried to count them. There's a lot. Whoever's doing slides back there can see them all. I mean, there is a lot of text. I hope you're okay with a lot of Bible today. Um, I know it excites me. <laughs> so Ephesians 5, um, and we're going to be starting in 22. I had this for quick reference. Nope. Uh, the other way. Um, I should probably just read it off the screen and be faster, but hopefully. All right, there we go. Uh, Ephesians 5, probably have heard this before, but um, between husbands and wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, the, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same ways, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he explains explicitly makes that connection, and it's, it is profound. It's a wonderful thing to consider. Um, I don't need that. And um, like I said, most of the time, this is used as, a, as guidance for marriage. And I know it's meant a lot to me. I know there's been, it's been profound as I'm uh, over 17 years of, of working this out and learning this at a deeper level. A couple words in that text that are significant for the message and just in general. Um, first word is, I think the first word I have on there is ecclesia. And it says when it, oh, I did lose my spot. When, it, um, when he talks about the church, um, just as Christ loved the church, um, that, that word ecclesia, the called out ones, it's Greek, it means called out ones, and it's, it's not only used exclusively in, in biblical 
uh, in a biblical context, but it is used in the New Testament to describe the church in general, ecclesia, but it's also individual, con- like, like uh, Paul when he's writing in 1 Corinthians, an ecclesia. So the Corinthians are an ecclesia. We are an ecclesia. This is a gathering of called out ones for the purpose, for, for God's purposes. Um, in the beginning, when I said that you are here, and I'm glad you're here, you're here on purpose. There's a purpose involved in this, and that, that purpose is what has called us to this ecclesia. So ecclesia is good, um, called out ones, agape. This is a Greek, uh, one of the multiple Greek words for love, but this love, this is um, considered like the highest love. Uh, there are other loves that are felt. Agape is a love that is decided. It's a love of the mind. I will choose to love you regardless. And, and it's significant because to have chesed love, have, or to have a, a, a unfailing, steadfast, um, uh, unconditional love requires a decision. It, it's not going to be felt. Um, so, from this text, the first principle that I, I'm pulling out of this is that marriage is not so much about who we are, but whose we are. And that, to me, I know it's like catchy, but it, it's more than catchy. To me, it's like it's a really important thing that it's more than catchy to me. Um, I'll often, it sounds maybe kind of, silly, I guess, but I think it's important that I refer to, I say, I'm Lexi's husband and she is my wife. It's true. She is my wife, but I am her husband is more significant to me uh, because I am hers. Um, so we see this beautiful, you know, Christ in the church and, and we try to model our marriages and we try to live our marriages out in, in, within this example but and this is this to me this is where things kind of get a little bit foggy or murky a little bit because um marriages they're hard there's there's struggle and strife in that context this beautiful thing there's uh failure there's unfaithfulness um in some ways, I guess it, it almost could seem like, and I've heard the argument, I've heard people say this, but it almost could seem like you're almost setting yourself up for failure to expect this from people, to expect this faithfulness from my wife. Um, and I, I understand that. And statistically, half marriages in general end up in divorce. And Christian marriages fare better. But statistically, not that much better. I mean, they're 30 to 50%. In the research that I was doing, it, it, and it varies widely depending on degree of devotion and um, like church attendance is a strong correlating factor. So there are some things that, you know, it's not that, that you roll the dice and you as a Christian have, you know, 30% odds of failure. Um, but it is something to consider that, that what, 
Why doesn't it work all the time? Why doesn't it work out better? Um, if this is Christ in the church, why doesn't it work out better? Uh, so this morning, and this is why I really, it's important that, that this is a safe place because uh, um, I, I want us to sort of consider our relational failings. I have been divorced. I've experienced divorce and it's painful. I know uh, some of you have experienced divorce. If you haven't, um, I'm, I'm sure undoubtedly you've experienced marital strife. And if you haven't, I question the depth of your marriage. Um, if you're not married yet, you have that to look forward to. And even if you never get married, you'll never nail it when it comes to relationships. There will always be, there will be these relational failings. So this isn't necessarily isolated to marriage. These principles apply outside of marriage as well. Um, so when, in the, in the last message, you heard about the Lucia Falls thing. When I, I took Lexi to Lucia Falls and that's where, you know, the arm around and the hand on the knee and, and we were talking about sunsets and, uh, you know, it was really exciting. And that was a beginning of something that was super exciting. But, um, you know, there's the next day. And, and soon after that, it didn't, I mean, obviously just probably the next morning I woke up thinking her, her dad's name is Fred. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna have to talk to Fred about marrying his daughter here. I mean, it's, it's kind of inevitable here. Uh, I see this happening and now I got to talk to him. Uh, Fred, um, I love my father-in-law. I love my mother and father-in-law. Um, Fred doesn't, he's not a talker like myself. I love to talk. I love conversations. He's more of a man of fewer words, which I also love. And, and honestly, there's been a lot of times where I have sort of channeled him trying to kind of go, you know, I don't have to talk so much, especially a Bible study. You know, I'm like, I don't have to, I can just listen. But, um, so I knew I had to have this conversation with Fred and I was nervous. For some reason I was nervous. Um, I'd known him maybe because I met Lexi like two weeks prior to that. So I didn't know him at all and he had no idea who I was. So yeah, there's probably some reason to be nervous. We go on a fishing trip. This is down in Washington, go up the Deschutes River. We're catching catfish. It's her dad, her brother, and his friend from the Air Force. And I'm like, this is the opportunity, you know, we're gonna be sitting by a campfire, some, you know, guy to guy, have this conversation. I couldn't do it. The whole time I, I, I never found the opportunity. It just wasn't right. And so we get back and we're at the house and I'm like, there's no way. I mean, this was the, this was the trip. So I'm not getting in my car until I talk to him. So in his kitchen, I said, um, Fred, uh, I need to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about marrying Alexis. And I'm thinking, we're going to have this good conversation. 
he's probably going to bring me to Ephesians 5. He's probably going to talk to me about this love, you know. And I'm looking forward to this because, you know, I want to have a conversation with him. I want to get to know him. And I really do want to kind of know what he expects out of a son-in-law. And so he said, he said, uh, have you read the book of Hosea? Now, some of you, I just found out a few of you have. <laughs> so you know where I'm going. I was like, ah, pretty sure I have. I was kind of raised in the church. I'm sure at some point it's washed over me. And, you know, I'd recognize it if I saw it. I don't know. He said, well, of course, obviously. I said, I, I think I have. <laughs> and he was like, no, then you haven't because you'd know. And uh, anyways, he said, read the book of Hosea. If you can love my daughter like that, you can marry her. I thought, okay. I think there was like a handshake and that was the end of the conversation. Pretty painless. I don't know what I was nervous about. So went home and opened up the Bible to Hosea, which is where we're going now. So let's, let's look at Hosea. There's, I already told you, I think I already did, getting a little forgetful. I told you there's going to be a lot of Bible verses, right? Like we're going to go through three chapters of Hosea right now. And if you've ever been to Bible study with me, you know that I have a hard time getting through three verses. But um, so turn, if you have a Bible, um, we're, we're looking at Hosea. Yeah, right on there. Uh, Hosea chapter one. Verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These are kings in the northern kingdom of Israel at the time, contemporaries. And, um, uh, or no, those are the kings of Judah in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, who is the king of the Israel, the northern kingdom. So Hosea is... A prop, is a prophet in the northern ten tribes at the time. I'll get to that in a bit. But uh, verse 2, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go to yourself, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for, this, for the lands commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So that first verse is I'm like, okay, I'll read the, you know, first book of the minor prophets and, and kind of, I don't know, you, you, it's not exciting, a little dry, but it's not, you know, but that second verse hits different. That second verse is I'm thinking about marrying his daughter and he says, read this. And I'm thinking, what is he trying to tell me? And then honestly, like, what is he trying to tell me? Because he's trying to tell me something. And at this point, I'm starting to wonder if it has something to do with her, right? Um, <laughs> so I read on, verse 3. <clears throat> uh, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu, for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter 
And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the, by the Lord, their God. I will not save them by bow or sword or by war, or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Um, you can imagine, I'm not feeling more encouraged. <laughs> I'm feeling more concerned. Um, you know, we, we hadn't talked about kids yet by that point, like Lexi and I, but at this point I'm starting to think, that might have to be a, a conversation we have because I'm getting kind of concerned about our future children. Um, <laughs> I, can you imagine, you know, being in this place? Uh, so it is important to note too in here that that Gomer in this prophecy is, as you already can tell, he's he's connecting this to Israel and God's relationship with His chosen people. Um, is obviously strained. God's not happy. Uh, does God love Israel? Yes. God loves Israel with a kessed love, a steadfast love. Is Israel forsaking God? Yes. And this is what they're, and so in this allegory, even though, you know, like a true life allegory, um, Hosea is living out or experiencing the thing that he is prophesying about. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I can imagine Hosea in this broken place as he is prophesying to Israel. He's like, like, I don't know if you would say, I know how God feels, but I think he would probably imagine he knows what God feels. And God's like, no, it's worse, even worse than that. But he's like, he's going through this thing that he's prophesying about. So Gomer is Israel and her children are the people. Um, chapter two, say to your brothers, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife. So people plead with Israel, plead on behalf of Israel. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts lest I strip her naked, make her as in the day she was born, make her like a wilderness and make her like parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also, I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them, has she who conceived them has acted shamefully for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her. I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. 
Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her from my hand. I will put away, I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste to her vineyard or to her vines and her fig trees of which she had said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bales. When she burnt offerings, when she burned offerings to them, oh, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and her jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So like I said, I don't know if that worked. (laughs) Like I said, uh, Hosea, this is is mid-8th century. That's like the 700s, mid-700s BC. Um, And he... This this is the time when uh, when Israel has and I love that Josh spoke on he wrapped up Judges last week, and and it kind of bled right into this as we could see the decline of Israel, and by this time uh, you know the, the the Israel split. There's the Israel, the northern ten kingdoms, and Judah down in the south, and and at this time these kings that have been cycling through um, and killing each other, you know. The, I think there was only one time when when a son had become king after his father, but there was a lot of killing them while they're at king and then assuming the throne. And we're down to the point where uh, where the spiritual decline is is what has become significant. Um, economically, they are uh, they're connected. They have been. Uh, assuming like Canaanite practices, they're kind of, you know, assimilating into the world and kind of, and that was one of the big, big things about the, the, the prophets was in all of these prophets, uh, Jeremiah was the contemporary to Hosea in the South and Judah and about the same message with this idea that, that we're, we're mixing and diluting and, and straying, our eyes are straying from God and they're being drawn to other ungodly practices. Um, and so he, um, he was basically saying you're going to, and later on he even says Assyrians, the Assyrians are going to conquer Israel. And that happened in 733, 722, like there's a couple little ways there, but um, that happened and Hosea saw it. And that's when they went into exile. They were taken captive, went into exile. And I think I point out later in here, which I think is kind of cool, is that first sermon that I did a little while ago was Nehemiah, and it kind of picks up after the exile. So then we can see the rebuilding, and, and, and that'll be something referenced here in Hosea, which I think is really cool. Next, and that's where we're going to go next, is the second half. That first half of chapter 2, Brutal, brutal, you know, um, God is not happy with Israel. 
it's really Israel just brought this on herself. You know, Israel strayed away and um, put herself in a position where she's going to get conquered. It's going to happen. There's consequences. But the second half, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I love that. I think I have it in bold, but you can't tell because it's white text. But I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So this, this is interesting because Hosea at this point is, is describing the decline, is calling out the decline for what it is, but he's also saying, we know God is faithful. I know God is faithful. And he references back to God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And he'll reference this faithfulness. Like we know that God is a restorer. We know that he will redeem Israel. And so there's this sort of reach back language that's saying, we've seen it in the past and here's the evidence. And he's prophesying that this will happen in the future. And to me, I feel like we're on that same end. We look back and go, you know, that's our roots and this is our future too. We're in that. Uh, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. The names... No. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal or my master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, the masters. And they will be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creepy things on the ground, creeping things on the ground, And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say, I will say to my, to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. I'm sorry, but this this changes everything. This changes everything. The state of despair Israel is in, the inevitable consequences that they will be facing and the exile they'll endure. But to say, but I will love you in spite. I love you through all of this. And you will, you will, you might not now, but you will experience 
this steadfast love and you will understand at some point the covenant relationship that we have through it all. I'm faithful. I love that. Hosea declares God's faithfulness and steadfast love. And I love that the language used in here, you will call me husband. And he talks about betrothing. And that reminds me, I'll read it from here in my notes, but it reminds me of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It talks about this same love, the same decision. Well, Hosea chapter 3 um, picks this up and applies it to Hosea's life, his home life. His, his home life is in shambles. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, even as the Lord loves us. Through, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, a homer and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. Um, he bought her. I, I'm, it's just hard to get my head around that. I think probably the idea of that in, in my relationship with Lexi, you know, having to go to the place and buy her back. Um, this, especially then, uh, this was a time when uh, Gomer deserved to die. Mosaic law would have her stoned. And, and uh, Hosea would be well within his rights. He'd be justified to, to go to the authorities and say, let justice be served. But God called him to break that Mosaic law. And he called Hosea to like, <laughs> I just, it's just such a beautiful thing because she deserved death. And she experienced life. She received life. Hosea purchased her back. And I think that's where, um, to me, <laughs> I, it shifted. So Fred had told me to read this. You know, by now I'm going, okay, this is not describing Lexi, fortunately. Um, she's not perfect. But... Relatively speaking, I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling like I got real, real lucky. Um, but that's not the point. And that's the thing. It wasn't even the point. The point of this is the love that was expressed, that, this, that agape love expressed in that decision. Um, Hosea beautifully demonstrates agape love. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote this when I, when I think about this love that is shown to, uh, to his chosen, how God expresses this to his chosen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, when uh, talking about Christ and the church, I ask you to notice, <clears throat> I ask you to notice what is not always the case with regard to the husband and the wife. We know that. Everybody in here knows this. That the Lord Jesus loves his church unselfishly. That is to say, he never loved her for what she has, but what she is. Nay, I must go further than that and say that he loved her not so much for what she is, but what he makes her as the object of his love. He loves her not for what comes to him from her or with her, but for what he is able to bestow upon her. His is the strongest love that ever was. So the second principle is an examination of the church. This is what this series is, and this is what this message is. Should not end with who the church is, but whose the church is. Again, kind of catchy, but it's so significant. It's so significant. That's who we are. That's what this ecclesia is. Um, invite the worship team to come back up here. So here we are, our little log home, our little log home, our little log home, our little log church in Willow, Alaska. Um, family and friends here, lots of meaningful relationships. We make an impact on our community. We've seen that, we know that, and we love that, that we have Bible studies on Wednesday, and we, we, we do a lot of good, and there's a lot of good here. Um, I almost just have to read this, because it's, let us not be satisfied with that. I think that's where, to me, the message to me, uh, what God was saying is that there is this thing that, you know, he loves this church, but, but it can't end there. Like, it can't be that's what it's about. Like, we are making an impact on our community and we have this place. It, we cannot be satisfied with that. And that's where I feel like this dissatisfied thing happens. Like, I need more. I want more. May we remain in humble submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom we are betrothed. May we conduct our work earnestly and with great expectation of our coming bridegroom. May we receive his steadfast agape love and share it with others. May our gratitude for God's saving grace be evident in our lives and drive us to extend grace to others. And let us remember with sober judgment, not who we are, but whose we are. And I... It struck me a few nights ago when I was driving by and was kind of thinking about this and I saw the sign out there, a brand new sign, a beautiful sign, but lit up. A beacon stating, this is a church on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. This is a, 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 a bride embracing her bridegroom.